One day, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they put out, and while they were sailing, he fell asleep. A windstorm swept down the lake, and the boat was filling with water, and they were in danger. They went to him and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he woke up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. They ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? They were afraid and amazed and said to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? The Gospel of the Lord. When that story from Luke's Gospel comes up in the normal cycle of Sunday morning Bible readings, I imagine that most preachers lean heavily on a metaphorical understanding of its meaning for our lives today. In other words, most preachers probably talk less about real wind and real waves and more about life circumstances that are like storms, storms that blow us off course or even threaten to submerge us. And that's not a stretch for us as listeners because we use storm metaphor all the time in our speaking and in our writing. So it's only natural that we would hear Luke's story in this much broader way. And to me, that's a good thing. It's so evident in many of the prayers, in the songs that we sing today. It's a way of hearing this story that makes it relevant to so many parts of our lives, even if we aren't in a boat somewhere on a lake, helps us to see how God is with us in the midst of all the different storms that we face. But when a story like this comes up in a series called The Season of Creation, I feel compelled also to listen to it for a much more earthy meaning. For the disciples in the boat, there was nothing metaphorical about that storm. The wave height, the wind velocity was things that could be measured and described by a meteorologist. So for them, there was just that terrifying and liberating experience of being with God in the midst of a real storm that threatened them. And in truth, I wonder if that more earthy hearing of stories like this is something that's been sorely missing in so much of our preaching and teaching over the years. And I wonder too if that neglect has anything to do with the fact that most residents of the Pacific Northwest choose to be out in creation when texts like this are read in church. From all that we read and hear and experience, this is a region of the world where people feel perhaps a deeper connection to creation than in many other places. But sadly, a growing majority sense that religion and religious communities overall are out of touch with that. Last year, when a person next to me on the plane saw that I was reading a book that had Christian in the title, he explained how he was one of those other people who see God in creation. Clearly, we have a 
PR problem that is much bigger than we think. If I could sit down and discuss this gospel story with him and others like him, I would start with the experience of those disciples in the boat. Because Luke says something about them that I think captures the essence of every Pacific Northwesterner's intimate relationship with creation. In the midst of all the drama, Luke says, the disciples were afraid and amazed. Afraid and amazed. What better words are they to describe what it is like to gaze every day at a gorgeous volcano that could kill you and me in an instant and the cities where we live? How could we come up with a better way of describing our feelings about the beautiful serenity of the water around us, but also its fierce, uncontrollable power? If we let it speak, this story that Luke tells is one that can go straight to the heart, I think, of our reality here, and one that could engage a lot of those who check the box that says none when they are asked about their religious affiliation. It's easy to be amazed here. When George Vancouver first sailed into the calm waters of the Puget Sound, he was overwhelmed by the beauty of creation here. Gazing around him, Vancouver wrote, the serenity of the climate, the innumerable pleasing landscapes, and the abundant fertility that unassisted nature puts forth require only to be enriched by the industry of man with villages, mansions, cottages, and other buildings to render it the most lovely country that can be imagined. But not long after that, Captain John Wilkes tried to navigate his boat into the rich paradise of the Columbia River Valley. And he had a very different experience. Looking at the Columbia River bar from his boat out on the Pacific, Wilkes wrote, mere description can give little idea of the terrors of the bar. It is one of the most fearful sights that can possibly meet the eye. And since he wrote those words, more than 2,000 boats and nearly all their passengers have been swallowed up by those uncontrollable, turbulent waters. And like the unpredictable glaciers of Mount Rainier, they continue to claim more and more lives every year. That's the way it is in this part of the world. And that's why fear and amazement coexist within us. So the question to ask whether we go to church or not is, where is God in all of this? Is God in the vicious waves that turn boats into kindling or in that glassy, beautiful surface of the Puget Sound? Is God in the killing blast of a volcano or in the wildflowers that grow on its flank? Is God in the new cedars that sprout up along the river or in the raging floodwaters that sweep away everything in their path? Taken together, the scripture readings that we heard today say yes to every one of those questions. I think the psalmist holds it all together as well as anyone could. 
The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, the psalmist says, but it also makes Lebanon skip like a calf. The voice of the Lord strips the forests bare, but it also gives strength and peace to the people. God's power, we are told, is made known in all of these diverse ways. And all we can say is glory. That's what Dr. Terry Fredheim calls creation untamed. In his book by that name, he makes reference to the greatest storm story of all. The story of the great flood that destroyed nearly everyone and everything on earth. Most would grant, Fredheim says, that God's good creation was, from the beginning, characterized by wildness, randomness, and the potential for such natural events as earthquakes, volcanoes, floods, and destructive weather. In short, it is God's alternative to complete control over everything. And the same goes for God's creation of human beings. Instead of trying to control every part of our life, according to those stories in Hebrew scripture, God again allowed for a great amount of freedom, even giving us the power to be involved in the process of creation, whether it be for good or for ill. And in my own words, that is the risky combination that produced the perfect storm that is recounted in the flood narrative in Genesis. A storm that was greatly intensified by sinful human beings exercising their freedom in selfish, destructive ways. And sadly, that is the risky combination that has produced storms of ever-increasing intensity in our own current era of human-induced climate change. In his presentation at our adult forum last Sunday, Don Hoiason showed how those villages and mansions and cottages and human industry that George Vancouver dreamed of come with an extravagantly consumptive way of life that is producing the greenhouse gases that are not only warming our planet and its waters, but creating conditions for much stronger and more severe storms in all parts of the world. If we don't find the moral will and the courage to change that lifestyle, I have no doubt that our fear of creation will soon surpass our amazement and we will have only ourselves to blame. So what is the voice of God saying today in the midst of these catastrophic weather events and this climate crisis at a time when our little boat is more threatened than ever before by a storm very often of our own making? Is God going to silently sleep on the deck below? Or is God going to enter our story once again with the saving help that we need? The voice of God that I hear loud and clear is the voice of Jesus that still rises up to rebuke the wind and the raging waves. It is the voice of Jesus in every person in or out of the church who says no 
to an extravagantly consumptive way of life and to the great harm that it brings to other creatures and to this amazing planet. It's the voice of Jesus in every person who speaks with courage and with tenacity about alternative practices and policies and ways of life that link us to God's dream of a, of a peaceful and a just planet and to the hope that we too can rise up and that we can be the change that's needed at this profoundly important time in history. And finally, it's the voice of Jesus heard in this gospel story today, reminding us that we are not alone in this and the power doesn't have to come only from us. That we are not alone in the move toward more just and sustainable ways of living. As Cynthia Moe Lobita says in her book called Resisting Structural Evil, the life-giving and life-saving God of the cosmos is with and within Earth's creatures and elements, including humans, luring creation toward God's intent that all may have life and have it abundantly. Thanks be to God. Amen. If you have prayer cards, just please hold them up during the song and the ushers will come and collect them. <laughs>